And they're like, okay, you're a little crazy. I'm like, all right, let's calm down and just tell me how I can get 2,400 turkeys to you. So it was that kind of nonsense, you know? It's, and so it's a little bit bad because the kind of money that we would spend in a day or a week would be more than you could feed a country with in a whole year. And so I felt terrible sometimes going, wow, this is a lot of money, man. This is crazy money. But the nice thing is, is that when they send you out to do something like that and they entrust you with this kind of a thing and you come back and you say, all right, what's next? And they're like, you did that. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I'm really excited to have one of my mentor of the last 20 years, Matt Ball. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Jess, you're great. Your mentor. I don't think there's anything I could teach you that you don't already know. That's a fact. You came, you came with these gifts already embedded inside of you. You are the epitome of this kind of a thing without me saying a word to you. So that's very complimentary. Thank no, you. no. I, uh, I, have, I have talked to so many people about you for the last 20 years. You just like, anyways. We're, we're going to get into all the reasons. So when we first when we first got to know each other, you were at DreamWorks. Can you talk about what you did there? And we're going to talk about a bunch of other things during your career as well. Absolutely. I, at DreamWorks, I was I started off as an assistant. Actually, I attempted DreamWorks for about four years. I did that in, I bounced from department to department. You'll love the fact that my very first job was starting at Disney as a temp. And my very first job was signing Michael, Eisner, Michael Eisner's name with one of those machines where you put a pen in both particular things in it signs his name. So I did that for a full day and said, okay, I don't think I ever need to do this again in my life. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you. So my first day in the president's office and my last day in the president's office, but then I got bounced around because I had gone to graduate school. And then during the first year of graduate school, they said, you just cannot work. Don't even think about it. And I was 35 when I went back to graduate school, we had four kids. And so everybody goes, okay, you're insane. And I said, I know we're moving to LA and this is crazy. But I came down here and I had so many people say, it's not happening. Don't think it, you're not getting get in. I'm like, well, if I could get this thing out of my heart, my head, I would. But anyway, I learned in my lifetime that I just can't say that anymore because this pain and this anguish and this struggle is all good. It's necessary. So being at Disney was my first temping experience that got me to DreamWorks. And it was because when I bounced around from department to department, it was so fun how I got to DreamWorks because a gal that walked by was pregnant. She's like, I said, hey, you look good. Is this your first? Is this your seventh? Come on, you look good. And she's like, shut up. Who are you? I don't even know you. So she was messing. I was messing with her. She jumped right on me. Anyway, we got to be fast friends because of me teasing her. And she says, so what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm looking for the right place to land. And you look like a troublemaker. Can show me how. And so she's like, all right, let's do this. So I, I attempt with her. We had worked in a cube side by side. There wasn't even room for two chairs in this cube. And we were the assistants to the special events coordinator over all of Disney. And his best friend or his boss was Jeffrey Katzenberg. And as a result of her having a baby, and she had two babies, I was the guy that took over for her when she was gone. While that happened, he, my boss goes, listen, she's gone with babies. Do you want to go to DreamWorks with me or do you want to stay? And I'm like, let's go. So when DreamWorks was just a pad of dirt and a, a thought in somebody's head, it was us over the new facility there working with that. So I became just the assistant. I was just the assistant to the special events coordinator, but because he was 
best friends with Jeffrey Katzenberg, or at least confidants and right hands to Jeffrey, anything Jeffrey wanted. It was like this. Chip, I want you to take care of this and this and this. And he's like, great, Matt, take care of that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way it was. He was the delegator. I was the boots on the ground. And as a result, we, we named ourselves, or I got to the place where I could name myself Sources, Inc. Because in special events, uh, my title was Special Projects. And that meant anything that Jeffrey or Stephen or David asked for that was asked of my boss is what I did. And that meant anything that you can imagine, from putting an ice sculpture in a water fountain for a premiere to calling all of the celebrities that were supposed to be at a premiere, making sure that all the invites for the Academy Award list were done, complete, and submitted, all the awards were all submitted. Everything was done. So my job was whatever it was. It was that corporate buying was my job. Uh, awards and gifts, in addition to making sure that all of our actors and those that were in our films were nominated for the proper awards. So I was in charge of making sure that we had all those things lined up and that the proper paperwork was sent out. But parties was really a major part of my deal. So as a result, one of my jobs was to eat at restaurants or, I'm sorry, find venues throughout Los Angeles where we could host parties. So I didn't know this until, I don't know, five years into my gig. My boss goes, how come you're not eating at restaurants? I need to know what's out there. I'm like, you eat out every night. He goes, I need you to eat out every night. So my wife's a total foodie. And so anyway, we started to do that in special projects was such that it was parties. It was Academy Awards. It was Golden Globes. It was you name it. It was press junkets. It was gift buying. It was hosting. It was whatever it was that... The powers that be asked, even to my, so much that um, there was a bar mitzvah that, or a bat mitzvah that uh, the leadership was hosting or were hosting. I was in charge of making sure the logistics were taken care of with my boss. So I was the boots on the ground guy. And, you know, you get to know all these celebrities and all these people that are really significant in the business as it relates to their influence and their ability to get things done. And they're very friendly and very wonderful in that space. And in that moment, they're very forthcoming and wonderfully accessible. And the second that is over, they don't know you. They don't want to know you. You live in a different stratosphere. They shop for underwear at Barney's. I'm not. <laughs> and so that's uh, that's just the way it is. So as a result, the uber wealthy do not want to associate with a guy with seven kids. When I would walk into the office on Monday, they'd say, so how was your weekend, Matt? You guys have any more kids over the weekend? I'm like, not today, not this time. So it was it was an anomaly that I was in this space and in this business. But I did learn a tremendous amount. I have wonderful friends from that time and I mean, I, I frankly love the experience. So it was great. It was and, great. And so how did you get from there to like the print director globally? Like what, what was that? What was your title? At DreamWorks? Yeah. When you were like in charge of all the prints special and all the, like by the time I knew you. I was just special projects at, at DreamWorks and special projects just literally meant whatever special project that we did and I was asked to do, I wore that hat. So if the project was the Academy Awards, we do that. If the project was the Golden Globes, I was in charge of that. If it was the party for those events, I would do that. If it was sending out all the invitations, creating the invitations, creating the graphics, if it was setting the tables, choosing the dinnerware, the all of the tablecloths, all of the, the <laughs> layout, the painting that we did, the venues, you name it. Oh, my favorite was gift buying. That was so much fun, especially when it was with an executive that came, like a birthday came up and they said, okay, he loves to fish. I need you to find the very best fishing equipment in the world. I need you to put a pool in his office, fill it with fish, set up all the fishing gear in his office so that when he walks in in the morning, it's a full fishing extravaganza. <laughs> and the full range of possibilities was in front of him with fly fishing rods, with stream fishing, with sea fishing. 
I had everything there. And that was all part of the gig. And that was, hey, Matt, your project this week, week is to buy this wonderful executive a birthday present that says, hey, we love you. Thanks for everything you did for us. And so that became my obsession for a few days. And then it was craziness that, and the thing I learned, the funny, the most fun thing I learned about this whole business is that you can do anything with anybody, anywhere, anytime, if you've got enough money. <laughs> and I always had enough money. And that's why, and I don't mean to say that lasciviously or just too light-mindedly. It's just the fact that they had a budget to give to me to do that sort of a thing. And it enabled me to accomplish things that the studio wanted to do that were just outlandish and awesome. So that's how come I said, I can literally find any resource I want for anything we need to do. And it's just a matter of picking up the phone and embarrassing yourself and saying, okay, I got to deliver, you know, 2,400 turkeys to this particular homeless shelter on Thanksgiving because the owner wants to do that. So how do I get that done? They're like, what? I'm like, if I need to ship them from Saskatchewan on a private plane or private jet, I'm doing that. So tell me what I need to do. And they're like, no, no, what are you saying? And I'm like, I'm saying, what is it going to help take to help you to help me? What's it going to take? <laughs> and they're like, okay, you're a little crazy. I'm like, all right, let's calm down and just tell me how I can get 2,400 turkeys to you. So it was that kind of nonsense, you know? It's, and so it's a little bit bad because the kind of money that we would spend in a day or a week would be more than you could feed a country with in a whole year. And so I felt terrible sometimes going, wow, this is a lot of money, man. This is crazy money. But the nice thing is, is that when they send you out to do something like that and they entrust you with this kind of a thing and you come back and you say, all right, what's next? And they're like, you did that. You did that. And the answer is you don't ever say no. So the thing you learn or I learned from this experience is you don't say no. They say, hey, I want to knock out the walls of this apartment complex and make it look like my wife's home, bedroom and kitchen and everything and living room from New York. And we're shooting this film over here in this state. I need you to make this apartment look like her home while she's here with her husband, the director. And I'm like, okay. They're like, same furnishings, same everything, make it happen. You got basically a week to make that happen. I go, a week. And so when you get it done, you turn it over, you say, they're the keys. And you walk away and they're like, and they don't say anything other than, thank you. That's good. In other words, they expect it to be done, and they, there's no questions asked. If you don't do it, there's somebody who will. So you find out how to do it, and you become incredibly resourceful. And so I, I sort of take joy in the fact that I can find anything. <laughs> I can do, you can do anything around here, man. You're like, what do you want? What do you want? I can get it for you, man. I feel like the total black market guy, but I'm paying money for it. <laughs> Anyway, well, Sorry, I think so about I think about how successful you've been in your career, and I think about like two of my favorite traits that I'm like hoping to grow up and be like Matt Ball. So one of them is one of them is like I don't even know if you remember telling me this. Okay, so one is making people feel good about themselves. You're like in the top oh 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 one percent of this. Okay, like your ability to make people feel good about themselves is such an unreal magnet. I'm not surprised you get that stuff done because people want to do stuff for you. Okay. And the other one is your willingness to. That's just from you. That's why it's easy to say because it just flows out of you like that. That's not even fair. You see, you make it sound like it's a gift for me, but it's look at you. It's just like, no, no, no. no. Okay. The other one. So, okay. So I'm going to name my two big ones, which are like partially name dropping for me because they're so cool, but you did this for me. So the first one was, when you invited me down to DreamWorks 
And we got to go like to the corporate cafeteria, which I'd never been to one that was that cool. Holy cow. It's like, looks like a restaurant, not a cafeteria. And we're like, I don't know, like four tables over from like Katzenberg and I don't think it was Spielberg. I can't remember who it was, but it was Katzenberg and somebody and like, I just thought this is the coolest thing ever. I'm in my early twenties. Right. And, and that day we were up in your office and you said something with me that's, you said something that stuck with me for, I don't know, it's gotta be like 17 years ago. I said, how are you so positive all the time? And you said something to me that stuck with me this whole time. You said, I don't feel like I have, he says, you said, just because I'm having a bad day, I don't feel like I have the right to make your day any worse. And that stuck with me the whole time. This, I feel like you live this ideal of like choosing your emotions independent of circumstances to such a degree that it's like contagious and infectious. And, and anyways. No, you're absolutely right. I, I always say that to my kids. I said, listen, if they're a personal friend and they know you well enough to when you say, and they say, how you doing, man? And I'm like, I'm good. And they're like, no, seriously, what's up? And then I'm like, oh, they're close enough to know. So because they know that vibe, then immediately I can say something different to them. But otherwise, if you're just, you know, putting oil in your car or at the grocery store, whatever you're doing, it's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. It's great to see you. And I said, dang, you're kind of cool behind the glass there because that smile sort of draws me to your teller window, even though there's a lot of pretty ladies here, but you kind of draw me to you, even though you might be the prettiest one here. I'm just saying, but don't tell them this because it might make him feel inferior. All right. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we exchanging money? Or are you, what are we doing? Am I paying you or are you paying me? And so you kind of make it just fun. But the reality is that, you know, when you've got a family member that's got cancer and getting a tumor removed on that day, which happened yesterday. And when you've got, you know, a very, very close relative that's going through rehab and another one that's going through serious divorces and you see all these things, they're like, well, okay. And I said, listen, it's tough for everybody out there. You don't need to know my woes because you're not going to be able to solve my woes and it's not your struggle or your burden to have to do that. But if you know me and I know you and I say, Hey Jess, how's it going? And you go, it's okay. And I'm like, uh-oh, what's up, man? Tell me what's happening. And then I feel a true obligation because you're my friend. I want to be able to say, okay, if we're going to seriously bear each other's burdens and help each other, then I got to know what, where you are because I got to see if there's something I can do. And then afterwards, it's like, I know that some people aren't religious and this isn't a thing for them. But for me, I'll walk right into the bathroom, right into the restroom in my office. And I'll literally kneel down and say, you know, God, this, this dear friend of mine needs some help right now. And I know I'm not there and I know I can't do anything, but if you can do something for him today, just give him some peace. It would be a very cool thing for him. It would be very important to him because I can't help him right now and I'm too far away, but I'd appreciate it if you could. It'd be, if you could do that for them, that would be special. And I know that's, and it's a turnoff to a lot of people. I know it is, uh, but for me, it's quite, quite earnest. I mean it sincerely because I've done that on multiple, I did it today. It's just, <clears throat> seriously, my nephew is going through cancer. He's got a tumor the size of a softball in his, in his 11-year-old body. And so it's like, I got nothing. I have nothing other than if it's not divine help in the hands of a doctor that knows what he's doing, it's nothing. So the point is, is that not the whole world doesn't need to know this. They don't need to, even though I've just shared it with the whole world. <laughs> it's like the reality is one-on-one. -on -one, the most important thing is right here, right now. And what can we do to make this moment better, brighter, stronger? So, okay, I love so many things about that. Um, sorry to hear about your nephew. The, the 
the thing I want to pull out of that is this idea of like, I feel like you have this like inner strength to not only deal with your, your concerns and trials and the daily trials we all have, but you like have this, it's like a habit of like, you're walking around trying to figure out how you can make everybody else's load a little lighter and hardly anybody else in their life is doing that. There's very few people they can count this month. They can probably count on their hand, one hand, how many people this month were trying to do that for them, maybe this year, right? And you're on this very short list of people genuinely trying to like lift their burden. And it may be a major thing or it might be joking with them about them paying you as the cash rate. No one, none of their other customers made that joke today. Do you know what I mean? Okay, the next one is, it's kind of along the same lines, but like you made me, say that again. I said my wife is worse. She's, she's, she does this much more than I do, but go ahead. Okay, she smiles I, in her sleep. That's our joke about her. I will say you, you did marry extremely well. <laughs> okay. Um, I know. The fact that she's still with me is kind of incredible. I'm like, <laughs> as long as she keeps forgiving me, I have a chance. I like when she gets to, when she gets up to the pearly gates, I'm like, can you just put in a good word for me? Because yeah. if you do, I might make it. Otherwise, I don't think there's a chance. Yeah. The, the other one was you made me an absolute hero. And this has got to be maybe like 2003. So yeah, like however long ago that is, 18 years ago, something like that, right? Okay. When you got me those premiere tickets for Catch Me If You Can, not just for me and my wife, oh. but for my boss and his wife, this is like, this yeah. is like a once in a lifetime event for us. I totally forgot that. I totally forgot that. Well, and I'm like completely obsessed with Jennifer Garner. My wife and I used to watch Alias when we were dating and stuff, whatever. So like when I'm on the red carpet as she's walking by and she stops and fix her shoe by me and I snap a quick picture, you know, like this is like, this is the greatest of all time, right? And we're like, everybody's hanging out afterwards. Like all the people from the movie are like four feet from you and eight feet from you. Like the gift bags were epic, right? So this is like once in a lifetime. My boss who was who was also a mentor and a personal friend, that was something I could do for him. He could never have done for me. There was no way for him to pay me back. You know what I mean? You made me such a hero and you give me these like great stories for like the rest of my life. Okay. Jennifer does not know that. Right? Seriously. It was worth it. It was worth it. So, no, no, we're awesome. so we do... Um, you know, we try to cut these in half. We're, we're down coming up on, on the end of the first half here. So it's quick and it's fast. I know we're going to have to do this again. So <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Oh, shoot Luke or give dad the gun. That's my dad's favorite old saying when I was a kid. And that was, well, two, another thing he always says is, well, you'll never learn any younger. And so whenever I didn't know how to do something, like my dad was a working guy and I'd be home in the summertime and he'd say, Matt, I want you to put in a new sprinkler system in our house on the lawn. I'm like, I'm 14. And he goes, well, you're never going to learn any younger. And I'm like, what are you saying? Well, put in a full sprinkler system? And he goes, yeah, design it, put it in, get it done. And I'm like, dad, now bear in mind that my folks had a farm. And so I spent my summers and my winter on a farm. So I had a little bit of farming experience and my dad expected me to take this resourceful farm guy thing and apply it at home. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. And see, everybody thought it was so cool when I was 16 and I got a pickup truck, a new pickup. It's like this half ton truck in high school. It's like, that guy is so cool. And every single day I came home from school, he goes, Hey, get that trash. I want you to be at the dump on Saturday. Take, and I'm like, I never want a truck. I never want a vehicle in my life again. <laughs> There's such a price to pay for this. And everybody's like, that is the coolest thing. I'm like, you can have it any day you want it. <laughs> so my dad would often say, you'll never learn any younger, which was whatever you don't know, figure it out. 
and don't tell me you can't until you try. And then when you try and you still don't know, go to somebody that does and figure it out with them. But I, he says, don't ever come back and not have it done. And so that happened and it served me so well in my life that whenever I was on a job and somebody said, I need you to go down and get these supplies for this and this and this. And then it couldn't happen. Nobody had it. It wasn't around. And it's like, okay, I'm not going back to the office and I'm not going back without this done. And all of a sudden you do this crazy dot connection thing and pull up this thing. And I'll, all of a sudden I have the shipment coming in a day later and it's going to be there on drop ship. And they're like, what did you do? And I'm like, I made it happen. And they're going, okay, but, and I'm like, no, no, you can pay me back. I put it on my credit card. We had to get it done. They're like, we don't do that. I said, you do now because I had to get this <laughs> where I could get it done. And so they're going, I said, I'm not trying to be, you know, too assertive here. I'm just trying to say that it was the only way I could get it done. And they're like, okay. So that has served me extremely well. But the other thing is shoot, look, or give dad the gun, which means you got to do the hard things. And the hard things are the hardest things. But if you can't do them, then give the give dad the gun because he's going to have to take out the family dog or the family horse, and he's going to have to do the work for you. So the hardest things in the world, you got to do. And you got to put your head down. And so in all fairness and all seriousness now, is a very sober note here, but when our son passed away and he died of SIDS, on that day that he died, which was Thanksgiving Day, finding him, pulling him out, trying to revive him, trying to go through all of that with my family all around me. And it's like, you can't cry. You can't lose it. You can't yell or scream or anything. You have to be extremely focused and in this moment to try to save his life. And it's everything you can do to be right there right now. And you don't forget anything around you. You don't forget the material on the couch where I'm giving him mouth to mouth. You don't forget the carpet, you don't forget what anybody's wearing. You remember every de detail because it's like slow motion. And so it's a very hard thing to do, but you do it because you absolutely have to. And I got that from my mom, even though my dad said it, she's the one that could bear anything. And I mean, tragedies in our life are kind of <laughs> countless. But when you see people like my folks that have gone through those tragedies, you're like, okay, I can do hard things. You can bear hard things. And then after you do that, you think, all right, I can't just constantly walk around sharing these hard things because people are like, oh, I'm so depressed talking to you all the time. It's really, your life is so hard. And you go, no, it's just, it really gives you the experience to know that you can find joy in, in the struggle. And, you know, even though we know that we are, we're here to have joy, it's like, how do you do that in the midst of the struggle? And you have to choose it. It is definitely a choice. And so we can choose to be miserable and happy and gross and ugly and everything else. But man, you can choose how you react. You can choose what you do, but the power is in your hands to really make life as good as you want it to be. And I mean, you get slugged in the face every day. And I mean that metaphorically, but I mean, you just get hit every day with stuff that hurts. And you're like, and sometimes, you know, you just have to walk outside, walk around the building and go, all right, let's go again. I remember being in film school and getting a critique for the latest writing that we did and getting beat up so badly. And I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not crying. I'm not doing it. I'm not crying in front of these people. I'm not doing it. And you know, you're like stripped naked and flogged in front of 135 people. And you're like, I'm not crying. I'm not. And then it takes you 24 hours and you come back and then you're steeled to do it again. And you're like, all right, now go ahead, hit me. I'm ready today. Now hit me. Yesterday I was surprised, but today I can take it. So go. And then they hit you with like 10 more punches and you're like, Oh, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but ultimately, you come back and you're like, okay. And then after it's done, when somebody says, hey, how do I get into business in LA? And I'm like, okay, are you going to die if you're not here? 
will you die if you're not in the business? And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, shouldn't be here then. If you don't know the answer to that question, you shouldn't be here. And they're like, what does that mean? And I go, it means if you're not so impassioned and so in love with this nonsense that happens here and this crazy mayhem, then don't do it. Because only if you are passionate enough to survive this craziness will you survive. You have to be just a little bit, you know, crazy and so impassioned and so in love with it that you feel like I can bear it. I can. And maybe that's my worst trait and my best trait combined, which is my very, my very worst trait is that I love it too much. And my very best trait is that I love it too much. And I think that's true for all of us. Our very best trait is usually our worst trait. And so you have to somehow find that balance. And so those two things, chew Luke or give dad the gun and you can do hard things because you'll never learn any younger. Anyway, those are it. I, that's a long answer there. Sorry. No, solid gold. Okay, everybody, I got a whole bunch more questions from Matt. Tune in to part two. Okay. Bye, everyone.